Thanks for tuning in. You're about to listen to the Creative Mornings Minneapolis event recorded February 22nd, 2019. Our speaker was Joe Horton, an artist, MC, director, and co-founder of Fixed Music Collective. This talk was recorded live at the Minneapolis Institute of Art. So without further ado, take it away. So this morning we are talking about symmetry. That's the theme that all the Creative Mornings chapters around the world are talking about. Uh, This theme was chosen by our St. Petersburg, Russia chapter. Uh, and uh, the illustration and more info about that is at creativemornings.com if you're interested. Big thanks to MailChimp for being one of our global sponsors. Um, it's time to introduce Joe. So Joe uh, is our speaker for this morning, and he is actually, uh, maybe some of you guys caught this, maybe some of you didn't, he's actually the artist in residence at Mia uh, in 2019, which is super cool, um, brand new thing, and uh, he's going to probably weave in some things about that, but he's got a lot of things to share this morning about symmetry and creativity. So let's welcome him to the stage. Yeah. When I see a MC up there and it's 8.30 or 9 o'clock in the morning, it's two things just do not come together in my brain. How y'all doing? All right, we're gonna start low. I, I promise, I promise that I will at least do my best to wrench us up to some heights by the end of this. But how often do you all think about death? All, all the time. Some hands like, shut up, quick. That's some real shit. No, okay, I, so I have, I have a three-year-old um, daughter, and for some reason before she was born, I um, had convinced myself I wasn't afraid to die. And, and there was a, I was like, eh, it, it's gonna happen, it doesn't matter. And then when she was born, I was like, I have to stay alive. I have to, I don't have a choice anymore. That's, so that's weird, and that's a little weird little spin on it. But there was something else that happened too, which is that she began to ask me some really intense questions about death. I said, Daddy, are you gonna die? And I had to look her in the eye and say, yes, I'm going to die. Are you gonna die before me? And I was like, I hope to God, yes. I hope so, I couldn't take it. If I don't die before you, I will die shortly after you, I promise you that. So she asked, one day we were driving in the car and she started crying. And my wife asked her, baby, what's wrong? And she said, I'm gonna miss you when you die. And she was crying, and it wasn't like a baby cry. It was a full, like, it was a cry. And I told you we were gonna start low. <laughs> Three-year-old three existential angst. Um, but, but here's the march up, is that I, somewhere in this, in this, you know, she was probably about two, had asked many questions about death already by then, she's very advanced. Um, I, did the, I, I took ayahuasca for some reason. I, so, <laughs> I have a lot of experience with psychedelics. Um, I don't know how many of you have done psychedelics before. Psychedelics and death are very closely related to one another. <laughs> My friends and I call it practice death because you, <laughs> you, de- <laughs> it is, it's funny, but I'm dead up. Like, how many of you have ever had a death trip where, where you, yeah. It's, it's, it, it, it's the best, worst thing in the world. Like when I said I took ayahuasca, I was, I was about to say, 
I made the mistake of taking ayahuasca, and then I was about to say I had the good fortune of taking it, and I think it's probably some perfect synthesis of, of the two. But, so something happened to me during that trip, which was what I would refer to as a total boundary disillusionment. So everything that I understand in reference to myself went away. I could no longer understand the concept of what it was to be a discrete entity any longer. Um, and that shattered an illusion that I had about reality. Before that point, I was like, I am a fleshy body walking through a vast and infinite reality. And you know, science plays around with this. I think science is great, for the record. This is not an anti-intellectual flat earth rant. But um, this is the flat earth thing is just crazy. I can't even, I can't even. But like, but there's, there's one thing that science really gets, gets wrong or tries to overlook. Have you ever heard the phrase, um, it, science says, if you give me one free miracle, I'll explain the world? Have you ever heard that? that I, I think that that's like a wonderful phrase because it, science, um, if you're not careful, the, all the best scientists really under, actually understood this and will talk about it a lot, but um, if you are not careful, you will take science for a verbatim sort of map of reality, and it couldn't even hope to come close to being that. It, and the, again, the best scientist, like Albert Einstein was not thinking that he was actually modeling reality. He was like, this is insane. He was on his knees praying through math. And that's like a really natural thing to do, not for me, but for Albert Einstein. So, okay, this idea though that science has pushed for a while, that we live in a mechanistic universe. All you are are little balls bouncing into other little balls that have somehow, through sheer random force, don't you dare say there is any native intellect in that process through some random force have come together to wake up, um, that's, that's, that's not right. That's not right. That's horribly deficient. Whatever this is, I can promise you it's not random. There's nothing random about this. The light of your consciousness is not due to randomness. You are awake. You are awake. Barely, it's nine o'clock in the morning, but you are awake. This is a magnificent thing. So science toyed with this idea for a while of downgrading the human experience and downgrading the native intelligence in the world for fear that people would start to worship the new God here. And, and that's a warranted fear, I think, on, on some level. But So this thing happened to me um, on ayahuasca where boundaries that I didn't know existed went away. And once that happens... There's, you can't go back to this idea of a mechanistic universe, right? I, I went all the way up and I came all the way back down and I went grocery shopping the next day, went back to my normal life, but never again, that illusion was shattered for me. I can never again believe that this is a mechanistic universe. This is a dream. This is a dream. And we are all the dreamer, less so than the dreamy. So, as you can imagine, this fucked me up, big time. <laughs> so I had to turn to somewhere, because there's this, there's this so people um, in the psychedelic community often talk about this process of reintegration, which is a very important process. What do you do after this happens to you? Because people that have very intense psychedelic experiences often ask the same question, which is, now what? Now that I know this, what in the hell do I do? How can I possibly relate to people on the terms that society puts forth? 
the terms that are basically death-denying terms, right? So when you hear people talk, really what they're saying is, I'm not going to die. I'm not going to, how are you doing? I'm never going to die. It's okay. I'm not going to die. <laughs> Please. That's what they're doing. That's small talk, right? So, you know, you bust that shit open. You can't go back to that anymore. You can't small talk. Anybody who knows me know that I will dive into death as quick as possible to avoid small talk, right? So, <laughs> what I, but I had to turn to somewhere, though, because you have, to, you have to put yourself back together. Otherwise, you run another risk, which is to think that you... There's a story, if any of you are familiar with Ram Das, You know Ram Das, uh, Richard Alpert. So uh, Ram Das has this story where he went to visit his brother-in-law, who was in a psychiatric hospital. His brother-in-law actually believed that he was... Jesus or God or, or some like central figure. He thought he was the most important figure in the world. This coincidentally enough happened to my brother as well. So my brother was called what you, you know, what you would call schizophrenic, believed he was Jesus. And this is a, this is a, a thing that often happens to people who are what we, we call crazy because we don't know what to call it. We don't know what's going on there. So we call it crazy, whatever. But they think they're the most important person in the world. So Ram Das walks in, full beard, cloak, you know, had just gotten back from some mountaintop in India somewhere, and he rolls in, and his brother-in-law goes, why the hell am I in here? Look at you. They need to lock you up. And Ram Das says, uh, well, you're in here because you believe you're God. And his brother-in-law said, yeah, I, you do too, though. And he goes, yeah, I believe I am God, and I believe you are God too. That's the difference here. So these experiences will enlighten you to a fact that you are the most important thing ever. Now, you're not not important. You are not random. You are not mechanistic. You are insanely important. It matters. The light of your consciousness is the most important force that there is, and I would argue the only force that there is. The thing, though, is when you look at somebody else, you don't want to make the mistake of thinking, I'm looking at you. I should see the light of God in your eyes just like I see it in mine. Every person. Every person. Everything. There is nothing that has ever lived, nothing that has ever been in existence that is not alive. That's my firm belief. So I, I didn't come up with that. When I, after I got done with this ayahuasca trip and went to Whole Foods and back, <laughs> I, I was like, I need, I need something here. I need something here. So this is where we get to symmetry, right? You thought that I was just way the hell off the rails. <laughs> this is about symmetry. Um, and it's about an important aspect of symmetry, actually, which is, uh, to me, somewhat more important than just aesthetic symmetry. Like, aesthetic symmetry, the reason we like it, in my mind, is because it, it is, um, has a quality to itself that I would call self-same, that it, it is itself. So it's very easy to understand. You look at a circle, one side of it is exactly like the other side of it, and for temporal beings like us who see things in sequence, that's really pleasing and calming because the left side looks just like the right side. Anywhere you look at it, it it's going to be itself. It is itself. I think part of the reason we like that is because we recognize it because that is also a quality we have. Everything in the world is self-same. Have you ever heard the Buddhist quote, the universe in a grain of sand? What they mean to say there is that the entirety of the universe is contained in the smallest possible part of that universe. The macrocosm contains the microcosm, and the microcosm contains the macrocosm. That's a self-evident fact. That's symmetry to me. That's symmetry. So again, I didn't come up with that. I, in a just manic fit of needing some sort of answer after this intense 
um, experience, I stumbled upon uh, alchemy, which was the last thing that I thought I would have found any answers in. So I see some people nodding. Are y'all familiar with alchemy? Alchemy is the, is the coolest thing <laughs> in the entire world. So to me, alchemy represents a battle, an intellectual battle that was taking place in, in the Western line of thought. No matter how weird or quirky you think you are, you are firmly within the Western line of thought. I read all the Buddhist sutras. I sit at night like this too, I, but Western, like we're in this Western paradigm. And that's what was so cool about alchemy because I always had a demonization of the Western paradigm because I was like, no, it's mechanistic. It's trying to belittle my Godhead and all this stuff. Yeah, sounded like a little, I was having a little tantrum there, which I do from time to time. Um, but when I stumbled upon alchemy, I, I had a little bit of a surprise, which was that there was a line of thinking in the Western ideology that was as mystical as any Buddhist text that was saying this, essentially the same things, but using Western symbology to do it. And that was fascinating to me. And for some reason, I could actually understand it better. And so this symbol here is um, the alchemical union or the, or the alchemical marriage. And what that is, is and al alchemy is, is ultimately about what they call the grand work or the magnum opus. And the alchemist, usually in solitude, will work on what I would call essentially a behavioral metaphor. So they're working with matter, they're trying to extract mercury from clay by heating it up and doing all this like crazy stuff. But really what they're doing is trying to transmute not the matter from one form to another. It has nothing to do with actually transforming lead to gold. There were some charlatans that were trying to slang snake oil on the side that were saying we'll transform lead into gold. But the people who really knew what was what understood that that was a, a metaphor and a behavioral metaphor, an actual course of action for transmuting your consciousness from a crude, unknowing thing into a celestial knowledge, a self-knowledge, a knowledge of self. So the, the, in, the, in the end of that work was the union of opposites, which is a really Buddhist concept. For those of you that are familiar with Buddhism, the union of opposites is super Buddhist, right? So on the left here, you have the sun, and on the right, you have the moon. The sun is an eternal, and these are metaphors, but also you know, have some sort of factual truth to them too. But the sun is an eternal object um, that is imminent in reality. It's not you know, an object that exists in the world. It's something that is imminent and everywhere. It's the eternal. And the moon waxes and wanes. It comes into being and it ends, and it comes into being and it ends. And so this whole process was about the mortal being, the moon, that comes into being and ends, coming into being and ends, understanding its eternity in the sun, and the sun understanding its temporalness, its temporariness or whatever, um, in the moon. And that metaphor really clicked for me. It really hit home for me and settled me and calmed me down. Um, so, and, and it also... I, I will say too that this ultimately is about death, right? That's what we're really, that's what we're always talking about. Like when people, I, I saw this like art piece the other day that was like uh, the history of, uh, or the Western history, and it had all these dates and it just said sex, death, death, sex, sex, death, sex, death. And I was like, that's the real shit. So that's what we're always talking about. Um, this idea is not just a, an alchemical 
idea, this idea exists in a lot of different places. So my friend Jan Lodovic is the curator of African arts here at the museum, and I almost did not include this slide here for fear that he was gonna be here, because he, he probably actually knows what this is. But my, the explanation that I've always gotten for this um, is that it's an Egyptian uh, you know, conception of human beings that the lion on the left is looking toward the past, the lion on the right is looking toward the future, and the circle in the middle is God. And so they were saying, you know, as human beings, we can look behind us, we can look ahead of us, but we cannot see the actual thing that is, which also has its Buddhist analog to, um, have you ever heard the Buddhist saying, the eye cannot see itself? So to me, that would be, if they were gonna hieroglyph that. Um, that's what it would look like. So I'm not gonna, you know, this isn't like a, a lesson here, so I'm not gonna go deep into each one of these, but I'll say that um, the mandala is, as far as I'm concerned, is the most fully rendered, second most maybe fully rendered uh, depiction of this divine symmetry that exists in reality. And so at the center of the mandala, you'll always see one figure, a divine figure. So, on the, you know, if you look at pretty much any mandala, you'll see pattern and busyness and scope and all these things. And then at the center, that's a little pixelated and hard to see, but there's just like a person like just sitting there. <laughs> and that's what I love about, um, this is, I think this is a Buddhist mandala, but, um, but mandalas exist literally in every tradition ever. But that's what I like about it is because they say, you know, you're, you're in this mess, this thing that looks like it's, super complicated and there's all these different personalities and aspects to it, but if you really get down to the center of it, there is the light of a single being. And that's it, and that's your light. That's your light, the recognition of your own sentience. Um, and then this one got ruined by everybody putting it on their bodies and talking about it. But I mean, this, this symbol is seriously, uh, you know, thousands of years old. I don't know how old this thing is. I don't know if anybody knows exactly how old this thing is, but this is probably the most complete symbol as far as I'm concerned for the divine symmetry um, that we've talked about here. So yeah, I'm interested, we got a little bit of time left, but I wanna jump early to the Q&A because I'm more <laughs> interested in hearing, like sort of making this a little bit of a conversation. You've heard me talk about my death trip for a while now, so we can like open it up and talk shop. So, yeah, Drew, you want to come on up and facilitate the uh, Q&A? Right. The Q&Q, &Q, as I like I to call it here. we have, maybe we have some other mics. Do you guys have the mics? Tom, you have a mic over here? We're going to have some mics passed around, and if you have a question, and I'm sure you probably do at this point. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, just raise your hand, we'll get you the mic, and we'll talk a little bit more about uh, Joe and this work and how this relates to creativity. Well, this is just absolutely weird. For the last three days, I've been reading about ayahuasca. And I have two friends of mine that went through it in, uh, in Peru. Uh, and then Sunday, uh, I'm participating in a uh, celebration of death. So this is just weird. Where, where did you do, where did you, I don't know if you've done ayahuasca more than one time, but where was the first time you did that? And in brief, what was it like? 
Yeah, woo-hoo. the what was it like is a big one. Um, I love telling my ayahuasca story, but I always preface it by saying this is like not, this has become like a fully story and it's a detached from the actual experience of it. But, um, cause it is, so here's what I'll say about psychedelics in general is that they are weirder than you can possibly understand. So when you're in them, you know something like, um, you know something, like if you could only utter this thing, the entire world would change. The entire world. If you could just say this secret, it's a secret we all understand. And, I, and on a psychedelic, if you take enough of it, you will know the secret. You will know it. You will be begging to not know it anymore. And, cause it's crazy, it's crazy. Anyway, so, um, I, I did it in a, a, a living room in North Minneapolis. It, so it was, uh, it was really funny. So um, Danny and I, we both know this guy, Dennis McKenna, um, and who Dennis McKenna and Terrence McKenna are, as far as I'm concerned, uh, you know, saints. I just wish they were enshrined in some hall somewhere. So, um, but Dennis had invited me to go down to South America to do it and I just couldn't scrap the dough together. And so, it's same thing, coincidentally. I laugh when you said it's, it's weird because I think it calls people. I really actually do believe this. Like, it sounds weird and frou-frou, but I think there's some, there's some synchronicity there that, that's a little too much for me to ignore. So anyway, I, couldn't, I was disappointed. I couldn't take this trip down to South America. And oh, it just so happened that the shaman that's going to be down in South America is visiting Minneapolis. That's weird. And it just so happened that I got an invite to sit with them. That's weird. And so I did it, of course. And um, so you ask what it's like. Uh, it, again, it's not like anything else. That's what the weirdest thing is about it, is that you think by, you know, I'm 36. You think by 36 you've had the types of experiences that you're going to have. And then you do this and you're like, there is nothing, nothing, even close to it. Now, I'll, I'll tell you the highlight for me is I was essentially begging. I, I went in and being like, I'm a, I'm a psychonaut, I'm a, I'm a seeker. I've been, my whole life I've been reading books and meditating and give it to me, I can take it. And it was like, oh really? <laughs> and just like shot me up into hyperspace. I don't know where or what. Took everything away from me. I was no longer a corporal being anymore. My awareness was diffuse across what maybe was the entire universe. I have no idea. And, and I was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, sorry, I'm sorry, no more, no more, no more, no more, no more. And it took me down, and then I'm sitting there talking to it. And after about five minutes, I realized two things. One, that I'm having a conversation with this plant. <laughs> that was weird. Number two is that what I was staring at was what looked like a butthole with tentacles pouring out of it at a very fast rate. And that was the most, compared to what had just happened to me a second ago, that was the most normal thing in the world. I was like, oh, thank God we're back down to normal. Okay, anyway, butthole tentacles. Um, it was insane. I mean, it's just, but here's what I'll say is that it, it, it is, um, to say psychedelics are like, uh, you know, going to a, a, a city where you and I can both go to Paris. We can walk around and have two totally different experiences and come back and say, I got mugged and it was horrible, and I fucking hate Paris, and you can be like, no, what are you talking about? Like, the Louvre, it's great. Like, so, and, and you can go very different times. So I, I think um, part of the, the trick of psychedelics is to maintain your faith that uh, you, if you go back and you go back and you go back, you're gonna get something um, that is just the most beautiful treasure you could possibly get. The knowledge that you are not um, this, like, 
being that is just in danger, that you are so much more than that, that you're, that you're not this quivering mass of flesh, that is, I, you know, I don't know. I'll go through hell for that, and I, I did. And I'd do it again. I will do it again. Um, the other thing is, uh, so I, to me, the two psychedelics that I think are most um, along those lines that will deliver that are uh, mushrooms and ayahuasca as well. So mushrooms, you take enough of it, it's going to take you there. Um, so I think that it, it, mushrooms tend to be a little bit easier to get and a little bit easier to find. Um, but I think that they're both they'll, both, they'll both take you to Paris. I don't know what kind of trip you'll have, but you'll go. You will go. So this is really creepy. Um, this is my book. Yeah. That's, <laughs> see, this, there's, see there, there's this, Carl Jung has this phrase. Yeah, this is, a, this is the alchemical marriage right there. Um, so you, you talked a little bit about reintegration, and I read the Michael Pollan book recently and his mushroom experiences, ayahuasca experiences, and I'm reading a lot of consciousness books. I'm all, I, I too meditate. Um, <clears throat> I have tried mushrooms very lightly because I was like, I'm trippy enough. I don't need to see any more trippy things. Um, but how did you reintegrate? Are you reintegrating your experiences? Did you distill like a truth beyond knowing that there's a consciousness beyond this realm that we're all part of and we're all like a singularity, like multiplied to infinity? Yeah. Um, did, did you come up with a distillation? beyond that well I think so I think the most important distillation and the most important reintegration is that you stretch what you're willing to believe so I can't remember who said this I think it might have actually been Terrence McKenna but he, he said that the problem is is that the truth lies beneath the horizon of rationality so what is actually happening here our actual circumstance are too weird for us to believe and you shouldn't believe it right away because if you if you're gullible enough to believe the truth you're going to believe some you're gonna be one step away from flat earth. Like, so, so the, the thing about like the, you know, that like flat earth movement or whatever is that it has all the hallmarks of people who are uh, really integrated into a deep truth. Like they're like, oh, you don't know. They're trying to keep you from the real truth. We know the real truth. That's a really dangerous thing in our society. That, that, that runs deep. But what I gained from it, the reintegration that I gained from it and the truth that I gained from it isn't so much articulatable or shareable as it is um, a certainty that no, this is it. Like this, and it, but the, the, the hallmark of the real truth is that it can't be said out loud. Like you, you live with it on the tip of your tongue. You're walking around every minute being like, is this really, am I really alive right now? Like the, my, my, my life feels brighter. Not in a story sense. I, I, like I, I have a hard time, like, you know, I, I do a lot of things like this. Um, you know, I'm a semi-public figure in, in some ways. And, but whenever people talk about me or they say my name in that way, I just am like, I cannot follow that. I cannot go there with it because I don't believe it. I, and so it's weird. It's, a, it's, it's disorienting. So did I reintegrate? I think so, um, but not all the way. And I, and I kind of like that. I, I kind of feel like I, that, that's the right state of reintegration because the, there's something about the like, cultural myths we believe that I think are very destructive. Obviously so, right? Don't we all know that? I mean, if nothing else, we know that. But I don't want to integrate back into cultural myths. I want to find um, the the myths that more that allow me to um, keep my awareness on the passing moment and not straying too far from that. Because I don't trust anything else but that. 
So, you know, in a way it's reintegrated. In a way I've also isolated myself from a good chunk of society. Like there's, there's things and situations where I'm like, I just can't be, I can't show up for this. I can't be here for this because it just isn't, it's operating on terms that I don't believe. And that's, that's sad. I, I find that quite sad. Like it's, I used to think that would be a badge of honor. You know, my whole life I wanted to be an artist. I was like working on art and I was like, oh, I can't wait to be the eccentric artist who can't plug into society. And now I'm like, that's, it makes me sad. So, um, you know, it, it, com it comes at a cost. Thank you. Hi. Oh, hi. So first off, I've been attending Creative Mornings like on and off since 2014. This is probably my favorite talk ever. <laughs> um, so to cycle back a little bit, actually jumping off the, the last question, um, and to cycle back to the start of your talk, you mentioned your daughter. And I'm wondering that given what we've talked about today, do you think that what you've experienced is something that people have to experience? Or is it something that, as you said, on the tip of your tongue that we might not be able to articulate so people do have to experience it? So the question being is, is especially in the context of your daughter, is how do you have these conversations with her and others? And yeah. yeah. So we're, we're really into uh, transferable knowledge like in our society, that's a big thing, right? Like we like TED Talks and things where like they, they tell us like the tidbits and then we take the tidbits and we're like, got them bits, yeah, I did it. Uh, I, I don't believe in transferable knowledge though. I, I, I think like there is more, um, there, there is more value in the light of your consciousness than there is in anything that could be said about it. So in a real sense, I do think that it is only experienceable. There's this guy, Meister Eichhardt, who's a, you know, 11th century Dominican Meister, I think, more or less. Um, and he had this thing where he said, uh, God can only be beheld. And that, I think, is one of the truest things ever said, that the, if I say it and it engenders any type of understanding in anyone else, that understanding is ultimately a false understanding and can only point to the real understanding, which is your experience. Because what it is, is you. Like the big secret is you, that you are alive. That is the big secret. But the, it's hard to wake up all the way. It really, I find it very difficult and I find myself shying away from the intensity of being alive. It's, I don't think it's, that, like I started with, on the whole death trip, but that's a little coy way of saying, I think we're actually afraid of being alive. So. You know, in that sense, I think it, it, it absolutely is experience. It has to be experienced um, because it is experience. There's nothing outside of it. You can't carry it with you even. You can know in one minute and stop knowing the next minute because you, you cannot carry it with you. You can't. You cannot retain it. It is not a memory. It is not knowledge. It is experience itself. That's, that's tough. That's tough. Does that answer your question? <laughs> We're going to wrap now, and if anyone has other questions, I'm sure Joe will be down here to chat for a little bit more. We just want to be respectful of people's time if they have to go, so let's give Joe a big round of applause. If you're interested in coming to next month's event, tickets are free, but they can sell out fast. Just Google Creative Mornings MSP or use the link in this episode's description. And just in case we've never met, I'm Travis Johansson with Provid Films. I'm going to end with a quote here from Walt Disney. If you can dream it, you can do it. Now go out there and create.